So now I just want to just have a, a special time, uh, introduce a special person to me. How many of you were here f- four or five weeks ago when I talked about my own trip to China to visit my brother? A lot of you, a bunch of you. Okay, so uh, he is here this morning. He uh, has been in China for quite some time, uh, reaching out to professional and amateur athletes, among other things, and just uh, wanted to introduce you to him. However, uh, you know, he has been there for, um, well, actually, why don't, why don't you come up, why don't you come up, Mark? This is Mark. Uh, no English. <laughs> so this is Mark. Uh, do you think he's older or younger? Uh, bigger? Or skinnier? Okay, where did I come from? Anyway, well, Mark has, um, Mark has been in China for actually 20 years. And so, uh, you know, I thought we really, he's been in China that long, we really needed someone to translate to, into English. So I'm going to call Kathy up right now, our very own Kathy. She's going to be Mark's translator because he needs a translator. He's been over there for 20 years. Uh, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, his name is Malikui. Then you can call him Xiaoma. Xiaoma. He was born here, nearby here. Oh, as you know, he's a brother of the Pastor Steve, so he was he also was in the Florida, Venezuela and grew up here. Every Sunday and his his parents just brought him to the church, you know, to do the worship. Until he was in high school, he still couldn't uh, realize that he should be called the son of the God, the children of God. So in high and when he was in high school, and uh, there are two uh, couples in Venezuela, and they were missionary there. 他们, 他们教我圣经的话, 他们说, 神爱世人, so they taught him and taught him the Bible and the scripture, and especially like I think John 3 16, you know, God loves uh, the. People and God love the world, and whoever believes in Him has no has eternal life and no perish. So, um, when I was in Namibia, I was seventeen years old. I accepted Lord as his Savior. Thanks God for Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's amazing for me. You know, uh, 
20 years, I couldn't believe that. You know, uh, if I can do that in other country other than the, my language, it's just such encouraging. <laughs> so thank everyone give her a, a hand. <laughs> Kathy, great job. <laughs> so um, I'll revert to English. And <laughs> if, I, if I'm slow a little, please forgive me. Um, so when I became a believer in high school, it was through the, the witness of missionaries. And God put it on my heart from, from the beginning that um, I should go to where people haven't heard about Jesus. So well, I went off to college and did the college thing sort of, unfortunately, um, if you're not well grounded in Christ, you can walk down the wrong street, basically. Um, I sort of walked away from the Lord for four years, but after college, um, I graduated, I worked for a bank for five and a half years, and during that time, God started bringing me back to Him, and uh, I got involved in Sunday morning, again, very active in church. He just renewed my passion for Him, and then He started reminding me of that passion He had given me when I was 17. Um, so about actually 20 years from right about this time, um, in 1991, God opened up a door for me to go to China for two years. And when I went to China the first time, I went in 1992, I prayed three things. I said, I prayed, God, if you want me working for you in long-term M work is what we call it, long-term missions, then confirm that. The second thing I prayed was, God, give me a love for the people here. And the third thing I prayed was that if he wanted me in China, that he would confirm that. Now, about three months after I got there, we were going to a meeting in, in, uh, in another city in China, and a buddy of mine who was there with me for two years, he said, you know, so this is after three months, he said, so Mark, what do you think about this two years? I said, you know, I think it's going to be a great two years, but I would never live in this country. Um, God has a way of changing things, and pretty much by the end of a year and a half, I knew that I should go back to China and serve. So um, I, I came back in 1994, went to school for three years out in California uh, to study more about the Bible um, and just try to cement my relationship with, with the Lord. And in 98, I went back. I served in western China in a place called Tibet. You've probably heard of that place. Um, and I focused on that for four years. But from the beginning, God really opened up doors to work with athletes and um, to use sports to outreach to people. So in 2003, I changed my focus, um, and I started focusing on athletes as an unreached people group. They, they really, it's like the old Soviet system. The athletes in China grow up in a system away from their homes, away from everything they know. They're totally focused on their sport. Education is not valued. It's just training. They may train six to eight hours a day. Um, if they get injured or if they retire and they haven't... Uh, one gold medal in the Olympics or something, they're pretty much, their life is, is uh, they have no future. They have no hope. 
Um, so this people group in China, and there, there are literally millions of people in the sports system who grow up in the sports system. So we started do, uh, focusing on athletes as, a, as an unreached people group. At the same time, we also use sports to grow the church, both numerically and uh, spiritually. Um, sports is a great way to do outreach. It's a great way to meet people. Um, and it's, it, sports actually also teaches a lot of good values, uh, teamwork, integrity, uh, abiding by the rules, all these kind of things, which are really good for growing people up in the Lord. So um, I'm actually, I have two friends that, it's just actually a miracle they're here, but they're here in Boston right now. They're speaking at a Chinese church. They're two friends from China who do sports ministry with me. They are going to be here. This is sort of a commercial for tonight. They're going to be here tonight sharing. And um, it's, they, they, uh, they want to share their testimony and some in their passion um, with you all, with the, with the Christians in America. And I, and I really hope, if you don't usually come to Sunday night, I really hope that you can. Um, God is doing a great work in China. But there are just a few of us focusing on the athletes of China and actually using sports. These two guys are, um, they're like the pioneers in sports ministry in China. And they're great people. They're, they're two of my uh, closest brothers, and, and you'll really want to come and listen to them if you can. Um, yeah. Thank you. Just... Hey, I just want to, uh, the, these two guys this evening, actually Mark led them to the Lord uh, six, seven years ago, and it's just a great example of uh, you know, disciples begetting disciples begetting disciples and, um, uh, and people just, just the fruit of a, of a ministry and, and perseverance. But uh, right now, I, I just want to take any questions that you may have. Any questions stirring in your, uh, in your mind for my brother? Anyone? Questions? Yes. Um, he asked how long it took me to get fluent in Mandarin, and I hopefully will be there in three or four years. <laughs> Donna. My relationship with the government. I, I, I try not to um, interface with them a lot. Um, but one, one thing in China, um, there, there are two types of churches in China. There's the government church. It's called the TSPM church. And there are Christians and evangelical Christians that go to that church, um, that kind of church. Um, but there's been a lot of uh, things in, in the history regarding the government church. And then there's the what many of you know about the house church. The government maybe reports that there are 18 million Christians in China when there are actually probably 100 to 120 million in China. So most Christians in China worship in underground churches or house churches. Um, the two guys tonight, uh, and I hope this is safe to say, but they, they worship in a house church. Um, so... I, but, but what I'd like to say is I have never uh, denied the fact that I'm a Christian. I never hide that fact. Uh, Christianity is something that is 
a part of our everyday life. Um, so the fact that I'm a Christian is not illegal there. Um, there are different restrictions, though. But, I, you know, I, I have friends who are police and army people and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, I don't interface too much with the government. Uh, no, it does not. Um, he, he asked if, I, I said that um, sports ministries used to grow the church numerically and spiritually, does it require to be an athlete to do sports ministry? And, and no, it does not. Um, you can go there uh, and teach English to athletes. You can go and just make friends to athletes. If you're there doing business, you can um, participate in uh, some of the uh, some of the functions we have, um, there are all sorts of things you can do, and and for you out there who think that you know people who go overseas to um, share the gospel with with other p- peoples of other country are some sort of special breed, you know my my mother, my brother, my nieces and nephews can all attest to the fact that that's not true. Um, it just takes a person who's um, following after God. You 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 believe as Christ is your Lord and your Savior, Savior, and you follow after Him, and you live life fully before people. That's what everyone here should be doing anyway. Um, so it, it would be just like you guys going to another country to do the same thing. Um, to bring light, to bring Christ to people who have never heard. How long am I here? I'm here uh, until tomorrow morning. Um, my friends and I go to Florida tomorrow. I'll be back for a day on November 15th, and then on the, uh, on the 16th, and then the 17th, I go back to China. Okay, how do you share the word of God in public with with people? Um, one thing, and and we were talking about this two nights ago, sharing in China is just very natural. And and I was was it David that I was sharing with? It, it just seems like this will sound strange, but I went to communist China, and it's like I was set free to be the person, the Christian that I was supposed to be. Um, I, and uh, Don't hear me wrong on this, but I, you come back to the States and everything is so politically correct and everything, people are a bit hesitant to share their faith with people. It's just not like that there. Um, LJ, who, he's one of the guys that was there, it will be here tonight. He was sharing that this is truth. God is truth. Just they people need to hear. Just share with them. Um, so what we do there is, you know, many times the first time we'll meet someone, we'll share with them. I think Steve and Sam saw this as well. Uh, you play basketball with someone. That night you invite them out to dinner. 
over the dinner table, you know, before dinner you pray. Um, and then during dinner, God comes up naturally in conversations because God is, is our life. You know, we talk about things that are relevant to us and that are important to us. And so sharing Christ is just a natural, normal thing there. Um, it's, it's okay. Like, we, we used to have our Bible study in a Muslim restaurant there. Um, the, and, uh, you know, the kids would, these, these waiters would come in while we're praying. Hey, do you want to pray with us, you know? And the, and the bosses know us. So it's, it's just a very natural part of who we are. Evangelism isn't something we, we do on a Thursday night. Or, you know, it is sometimes if you have special projects for that. But it's a daily thing that we do. We care for people. We love people. And we share with them. You know, there are a lot of good people out there. And, you know, some some Christians might say, well, you know, I preach through my actions. Well, yeah, that's true. But the Bible teaches us that people need to hear. I, I mean, I know a lot of good, quote, unquote, Buddhists. Or Muslims, they're not going to the right place. They need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. So, um, yeah, we we make relationships and share the word with them. Now, you're the expert, not me, but I think one of the things Lisa Ann may be driving at is what what exactly is not allowed. And as I understand it, it's sort of formal organized meetings that have not been authorized by the government. Is, is that a good way of uh, of saying, like, I think part of the question is, is how, you know, what do you have to avoid there? I mean, what 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 are the issues associated with being a Christian in public? Right. So we wouldn't go around passing out um, tracts. We wouldn't go on a street corner and start preaching the gospel. Um but, you know, the good news is shared through relationship. Chinese love relationships. They very much respect relationship, guanxi. And um, so, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to meet, I think it's over 20 people without registering. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes that happens. <laughs> like maybe every Wednesday night and Sunday morning and stuff. But um, another thing that's sort of sticky there is is if foreigners are involved in religious activities. Like if foreigners do a lot of work with house churches or, or things like that, that can they don't really like that. They want it to be separate. Um, Yeah, one of one of my good friends there in their sixties, a couple. They were, um, he was actually teaching law, uh, great guy. But they were also teaching leaders of the HC, and um, one of their meetings, yeah, HC is a house church, um, and one of their meetings was um, interrupted uh, by the government, and uh, and um, three days later he was on a plane out of China. Um, so, but interestingly enough, his wife was not kicked out. So, <laughs> um, so she still goes back a few times a year, but that, that, that still happens. So, you know, um, the reason I use neutral language like M and HC and stuff like that is, um, we don't want to use words that are sensitive to the government, 
um, that I, I mean, I don't want to be kicked out for something I shouldn't be kicked out for. I do sports exchange in China, um, and but my, you know, I love God and I love people. You guys probably are nurses or students or doctors or something. Your purpose is to love God and love the people around you. Um, so I do the same thing. I work there. Um, your hand was up first. The question was, um, how did God confirm China? And, you know, just basically how did that happen? You know, I don't, I can't say that I heard this voice one morning from God saying, Mark, China. <laughs> you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but although it wasn't an audible voice, it was that clear in my heart. Um, so I would say, Holy Spirit. It, there's just a rightness about it. So I know I'm in the place I'm supposed to be right now. Um, and, you know, people ask me, oh, so are you going to retire and die there? I'm like, I have no clue what God might call me to tomorrow. Um, and I sort of see that in the scripture uh, that it's it's not, God doesn't necessarily give you a um, a life plan for five, ten years. He might, but he hasn't done that for me. I love living in China and and it's just a sense that it's right. About three years ago, I thought, I, you know, I love it in China, but some things can get to you. Um, there was a lot of rough stuff, and spiritual warfare is a normal part of life there, and uh, persecution is, and it's a normal part of life of pretty much everyone in the Bible, too. So, um, And I thought, this is it, and I was ready to leave, but... God intervened and just gave me a peace that surpasses all understanding, and I knew my time there wasn't up. So, last question. Go ahead. How did you change or have to change other than language to be able to relate to the culture? Um, you know, coming to Boston, you know, you have to n learn about the culture in order to interact well with people. Um, when we minister cross-culturally, I think language is a big thing, especially with Chinese, because there's a, there's a lot of depth in the language and um and it shows people that you're trying and you want to want to connect but you got to just live there and learn and when i got on the plane from the us to china i had to say okay i packed my bags but my americanism that's there i want this to be what i represent i want this to be what i represent not America, and I hope that doesn't offend people, but I want to represent Christ. And there's certain things in American culture that maybe um, might could change too. So it's just about learning the culture and um, just sort of diving in and then living life on life with people. 
and and like I said, literally, it was a freeing. It's it has been a freeing experience for me to live in China. To I really believe that I've sort of God's molding me into the man that He created me to be by living there. Um, so, does that answer your question, sort of? Okay. Thank you so much. And before he leaves, I, Mark, Mark, can you do me a favor? Can you unbutton this and show them your arm? <laughs> no, don't do that. That'll get us into a lot of trouble. It, Mark has been known for a long time as the hairy man. You see? And speaking of that question, um, you know, how do you like relate? People, when he first got there, particularly 20 years ago, when there were very few uh, Americans, they would just go up to him, no permission, no nothing, just like this. This is like a like you would see maybe a dog and you know you know you can pet a dog you don't have to ask necessarily permission they would go up and 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 start feeling them and touching them and stuff like that right that, that too you know, and, and so uh, and, and just allowing the people you know he and himself he's a walking attraction uh, for evangelism but anyway let's give uh, let's give Mark a hand he'll be back tonight. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a very exciting, you know, just living for the Lord and uh, what God does. And he does, he, he's the same, he operates the same here uh, in the United States as he does in China, as he does Vietnam, Europe, uh, anywhere else. But uh, hey, one last announcement, ladies, women's retreat. Today is the, this is, should be in your bulletin, the registrations form. This, uh, today is the last day to register. I just can't encourage you enough to be a part of this. Uh, I do want to say that uh, if, for some reason, there is a financial reason uh, that is, uh, has prevented you up until this time for, uh, f- uh, f- for signing up, please uh, speak to the women at the table. We do not want that to be... We don't want anyone to not go uh, because of a financial reason. It, it just We are so committed... Uh, to the retreat and to Elizabeth Fountain, the speaker. She is just outstanding. Women, you'll be tremendously blessed. So uh, today is the last day for registration. Uh, Remember to to sign up. Get out of your comfort zone and and come be with a woman. It's going to be an outstanding time. Okay, why don't you rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a uh, Bible, raise your hand. We are in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We are in verse, uh, let me see where we are, in verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And verse 23 begins, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the exciting adventure that is in Christ. And Lord, uh, we want to be people here in Boston and the United States who just 
who pursue love, who love your word, who love people. And, and just as, as Mark just shared, Lord, here in Boston, on the other side of the globe, Lord, we allow ourselves to be just freed up to be who you created us to be, Lord. I pray that you lead us into that this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in the last chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus had resurrected. He had not yet ascended from the dead, and he was appearing to different people. And uh, two of the people that he met, he met on a road to a city uh, called Emmaus, which was outside of Jerusalem. There were two men walking to Emmaus, and they were very sad. They were depressed. They were downcast. Obviously so, Jesus came up to them and he said to them, why are you so sad? Why so much sadness? And they said to him, they said, are you a stranger in this land? Have you not heard of Jesus, of Nazareth? He was mighty in word and deed. We were hoping that he would be the one to come and redeem Israel. But the authorities came arrested him and crucified him. What did Jesus say to them? He said, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into glory? And then it says there in verse 27 of Luke 24, it says this. Do we have this up there? Maybe not. It says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he took them on a little Bible study. And he took them through the writings of Moses, meaning the Old Testament and all the prophets, uh, explaining from all the scriptures, all the Old Testament the things concerning himself. And he walked with them further for a while. He sat down to break bread. At that time, it says their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And then he disappeared. And then they said to each other, wow, it was him. And he said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along the road and as he opened up the scripture? And just a wonderful picture of what it's like to be in Christ and being able to open up the word and, and, uh, and, and hear from them and be with Jesus. But the main point of that little story at the end of the book of Luke is that the entire Old Testament is a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. The whole thing. And, and Jesus just described uh, that whole, uh, uh, from, from Genesis right through Malachi, everything uh, that pertained to him. And, you know, one of the things that he uh, pointed out, no doubt, was John the Baptist coming and, and pointing to Isaiah and the other times in the Old Testament where it talked about how someone would precede him someone would precede him and announce his coming. 
no doubt that happened. Uh, but um, and and, that, and earlier in the chapter, we read about John, and and he's he's teaching about repentance. And uh, actually, in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 26, verse 20, it defines repentance as a great definition, or, or, or it, it, it speaks of repentance. And uh, it says this in verse 20 of Acts chapter 26, it says, repent and turn to God and demonstrate your repentance by your deeds. Repent and turn to God and demonstrate your repentance by your deeds. And so if, if, if repenting and turning to God really is the same thing, here we have it right up here, repentance means turning to God. But if, it's, if you've really turned to God, you, it will be demonstrated by things you do, by things you do. And, and, and so what are the things that people do when they repent? Well, they approach Jesus uh, and, um, rather, they approached John the Baptist in, in the earlier part of chapter 3. And it says the people came to him in verse 10 and said, What shall we do? And he answered back to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And then the tax collectors came. What, what, what do we do to repent? And Jesus more or less tells them, Quit ripping people off. And then in verse 14, the, the Roman soldiers came to him. That's interesting. The Roman non-Jewish soldiers came to him. What do we do? Well, quit you know, beating up on people and stealing from them. Uh, and, and, and then, though, uh, interestingly enough, in verse 21, we, we come and, 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 and Jesus comes. And that's where we began this morning. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit depend, uh, descended upon him uh, in bodily form like a dove. So Jesus came to John. But what do, we see, what do we not see Jesus asking? He doesn't come and say, well, what do I do? Like this long line of people, what do I do? What do no, we don't see Jesus uh, asking that. And, and that's because you can't turn to God. You can't repent even. You can't turn to God when you are God. <laughs> you, you can't turn away from sin when you haven't any sin in your life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says of Jesus, he was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about why it was that be, Jesus was, was baptized. I mean, why would he have to be baptized? After all, verse 3 of chapter 3 says the baptism was for what? was for repentance. It was a baptism of repentance. But there's another question that arises about this whole thing. It says that he was baptized, and then what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him. Why did that have to happen? We read in chapter 1 that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit have to come upon Jesus? Uh, he's already full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're one, and, and Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Why is Jesus baptized if he is, that doesn't have any sin? And why does the Holy Spirit have to come upon him? Even John the Baptist, by the way, 
asked the question when Jesus came to him to be baptized. In, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus came to, uh, we read there that Jesus came to John uh, to be baptized. And, and John said what? He said, what, me baptized you? You should be baptizing me. It says, allow me to be baptized now. This, and, then, and then Jesus responds, actually. He responds to John. And he says, allow me to be baptized now. This is the common English translation. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And so he gives the reason why he had to be baptized. It was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And so what did he mean by that? What did he mean? Again, I want to talk about that because this is important in understanding who Jesus is. He had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So in a nutshell, if you're taking notes, the reason Jesus had to be baptized The reason he had to have the Holy Spirit come upon him was because Jesus became our high priest before God. Our high priest. We'll talk in a minute what that means, high priest. And in the Old Testament, remember Jesus pointing to the Old Testament, to the two men on the road to Emmaus. The high priest, before he started and did anything as a high priest, He had to be, what? Baptized and anointed with oil, which in the the Bible, throughout the Bible, oil means what? Represents what? The Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, before the high priest ever embarked upon the duty of high priest, he was baptized and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, Um, I want to look at a couple verses from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament which describe Jesus as our high priest. There's a number of them. They're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3.1 says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Go to the next one. Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet, without sin. And finally, Hebrews 5.5, 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, meaning he didn't, he didn't become high priest on his own. The Lord appointed him. But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. In other words, he was made high priest by God the Father, Jesus Christ our high priest. Now, we hear that word, high priest, and it's not really a term we use in the year 2011 much anymore. What is it anyway? What is a high priest? If you're taking notes, two things. Number one, 
a high priest is a person who represents the people before God. Number two, a high priest is a person who represents God before the people. I'll repeat that. A high priest is a person who represents the people before God, and a high priest is a person who represents God before the people. Now, hear me out. There's only one person you ever want representing you before God. And that's Jesus. Jesus Christ. There is only one person you ever want representing you before God. And let me tell you, that's not yourself. Only fools represent themselves before God. Why would it be foolish for me to go before God and represent myself there? Because the Bible says every man and woman woman has that has ever lived, has sinned. They have violated the law of God and there is no defense against violating the law of God. There's no defense. There's only one verdict against violating the law of God and that is guilty. And the only question when you appear before God uh, is he who is going to... uh, the only question of what's going to happen when you get before God someday, and the Bible says all of us in this room are going to go before God someday. The only question is who is going to get the guilty verdict? That's the only question. It's not about whether there is guilt there. It's who's going to get the guilty verdict. If if, if you represent yourself before God, the Bible says the guilty verdict will be against you. But if you take Jesus Christ, your high priest, the Bible calls him the author and the finisher of your faith. If you take him along with you and he accompanies you before the judgment seat of God, God will say what? God will say, there is guilt before me. My holiness, my laws have been violated. Who is the guilty party here? At that point, your high priest, Jesus Christ, will say, I am guilty. I am. He loved you so much. God loved you so much that he came into the world, lived a perfect life for you so that you could spend a, he could spend eternity with you. He exchanged his perfect life for your guilty life. And when he presents you before God, he says, I am guilty, to which God says to you, come now, enter into the joy of your Lord. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3.1 says, consider the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So who was 
that first high priest in the Old Testament. Who was it? Aaron, Moses' brother. Now, the high priest in the Old Testament, like everything else in the Old Testament, he, he was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, to those two men, pointed back to him. And the high priest was introduced by God in Old Testament times in order to teach the nation of Israel about the coming Messiah. The high priest, the whole concept was introduced to Israel to teach the nation of Israel what the Messiah would be like and what he would do someday. Now, in the book, it's in the book of Leviticus, actually. People hear Leviticus, like, oh, no. There's, you know, the hands start sweating and their knees start... Well, it's a wonderful book. It does take a little while to get through, but there's a whole chapter, again, dedicated to what a high priest needed to do before he started his duties. Again, if you're, t- um, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Leviticus 8.6, he was baptized. Le- after that, Leviticus 8.12, he was anointed with oil, oil representing the Holy Spirit. But then in Leviticus 8.14, it says the pro- high priest had to present a bull as a sin offering. Why? Because he was guilty. He had sin himself. So when John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, me, baptize you? You're kidding me. You need to baptize me. (laughs) Jesus said what to him? He said, John, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Let's go through with this. You'll, You'll understand later. What Jesus was talking about, fulfilling all righteousness, he was fulfilling what the Old Testament law and prophets said that he as the high priest needed to do before he began his ministry. And and so he was baptized, and and then we, um, you know, we saw the, we saw the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 22, uh, descending in bodily form like a dove upon him. And so uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, it's, it's his way of saying here, for all the world to see and for us to read about 2,000 years later, he's saying, I am God's high priest. That's what's going on here. I have become your high priest. It is I who now represent you. It is I who presents you before God. And again, you don't want anyone else presenting you to God other than Jesus Christ. You don't want to be presented by Buddha or uh, Allah or, uh, or I- any kind of the gods in the Eastern religions. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the God except they are presented by me. And here he is in, 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 in verse 21, 22 here saying, I am the high priest. Now, before we go on, there was that third thing mentioned in Leviticus 8 that the high priest had to do before he started his ministry. It was what? He had to present a sin offering for himself, a bull that was sacrificed on the altar. Why did he do that? Again, because of his own sin. Now, Jesus, it was a little different. So let's just go back, and I want to I read these two uh, verses again in, in verses 21 and 22. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. 
in you I am well pleased. So stay with me now. I'm almost done. And after you're going to be Bible scholars on this issue of why Jesus had to be baptized and had to have the Holy Spirit come upon him. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 8, we read about it. The high priest was baptized, anointed with um, the Holy Spirit. And only at that point did he, pre- did he present a sin offering because of sin. But after Jesus was baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit, who steps in? Who steps in? And he says what? He says, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. In other words, there's no need for a sin offering. There is no need for a sin offering. Uh, You are my son, my beloved son, perfect in holiness and righteousness and without sin. Do you see how everything in the Bible just starts fitting together? I mean, I I remember when I was um, 22 years old, started reading the Bible for the first time, and and all this stuff started fitting together, like the the puzzles of life just came together. It's so so exciting to dig into God's word and discover this truth. And, and, And so Jesus, your high priest who presents you, who represents you to God. That's what this is all about. Now, before we go on, we spend a little time in these first two verses. I just want to point out this one thing. At the end of verse 21, notice, so only, Luke is the only one who points this out. He says, while Jesus prayed, the heaven was opened. While Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, it says, and heaven was opened. Remember what we've talked about the last few weeks. Jesus is first our Savior. He died for our sins. He's our Lord and Master who we give our life to every day, but he's also our what? Example. And, and oh, how we need to follow this example. Jesus prayed and the heaven was open. Listen, we need to do the same. God has promised no different result for us. He will open the heaven for us, whether it is for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus got here, or whatever else we, pr- we pray according to his, his will. First John 5, 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we have asked for. The heavens will open. So here he is, our example, praying. And I love this picture at the end of verse 21. He prayed, and what happened? The heaven was open. Okay, now let's go on. Verse 23, it says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. That's, in, in other words, what he's saying there. Some people supposed he was Joseph's biological son. That's the point he's making. He wasn't. Being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph. Now, who wants me to read the rest of it? Do you know? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. I blame this on, uh, on Derek. The son of Matthiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mathaniah, the son of Semai, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah. Do I keep on going? I didn't ask for hands this time. 
I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put you out of your misery. It's one, t- at one time I was telling someone about Calvary Chapel who was unfamiliar with it, and I said, oh, yeah, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And they said, well, you do skip over the genealogies, right? I said, well, no, not really. But anyway, there's some great things about this genealogy that I want to point out. Number, at, number one, you may ask, where did they get this thing? Like, what's up with this thing? Where, where did they get it? Did people really know their genealogy? Answer, absolutely. The Jews were unbelievably meticulous, even obsessive about keeping a very close genealogy from generation to generation to generations. In fact, they were part of the public record. In other words, you go down to City Hall today, you you look who land has gone to, the land in the city has gone to from owner to owner. You can go to the, at the temple and it would show genealogy, your genealogies. But people also kept a private record, very meticulous about that. Um, Number two, I want to note about this genealogy. In verse 23, it says, Joseph, the son of Heli. Joseph, the son of Heli. So... Some of you who are very, very, very observant would ask this question. Hey, what about the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? And in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, it mentions a guy named Jacob who was the father of Joseph. So what's with that? Is there a contradiction in the Bible? What, you know, what's going on here? Actually, it's a very, very simple explanation. Many of these names are different than the genealogy uh, in the book of Matthew. There's a, very good, uh, there's a very good explanation for it, very simple, and, th- and this is what it is. It says in verse 23, Joseph, the son of Heli, Heli was Mary's father. Heli was Mary's father. How do we know that? Because in early writings attacking Christianity, there are writings about Mary just attacking her, attacking her character, among other things, and it referred to her as who? The daughter of Heli. Now, Joseph's name is mentioned rather than Mary's name here because, as you can see from this genealogy, it was a no-no generally. They ever... Mention a woman's name and a a genealogy. That's just the world they lived in. Don't blame me for it, please. (laughs) But that's just the world they live in. The Greek word for son here could mean it was broader than a biological son. It could mean a uh, a grandson. It could mean a son-in-law. So verse 23 could be translated there. uh, It says that Jesus was the son of or the son in, uh, rather, the son of Joseph, the son-in-law of Heli. It could be translated like that. Very simple uh, explanation there. And, and Matthew, his genealogy was from Joseph. It was Joseph's descendants, whereas uh, in, in Luke here, this is from Mary. And so um, the last thing I want to point out about this genealogy, and, and, and we'll close, is that is that... You know, it's interesting some of the people who show up in this genealogy. <laughs> you know, when today when people are talking about genealogies, you know, you talk to someone about their genealogy and they're related to whatever, someone who was on the Mayflower, some 
noble person. Uh, you know, my grandfather tells me that uh, Mark and I are related to the King of Scotland. Yeah, and my daughters say, yeah, well, everyone from Scotland says the same thing, you know. But I'll take it anyway, you know, I'm the king, related to the king of Scotland. But um, if the Bible were made up of men, by men rather, written by men, just, uh, you know, without the aid of the Holy Spirit, that would be what Jesus' genealogy would be like. It would be comprised of men with just perfect character and background, mighty men who accomplished great deeds, But that's not the case with this genealogy. And if you want some gore, go into this genealogy and the people represented there. For example, Luke 3.33. I'm just going to give you a couple examples here. This is going through Jesus' genealogy. It says, The son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. Now this guy Perez, Perez's mother was a woman named Tamar. Tamar was the wife of this guy Judah's son. And yes, you heard that right. Judah, who is named here in verse 33, slept with his son's wife, Tamar, who gave birth to Perez. So Tamar, whose husband had died, had disguised herself as a prostitute, and she tricked Judah into, into sleeping with her. Now you think American soap operas are bad. That one wouldn't even show up, you, you know, in American soap opera. Uh, soap opera. But listen up. Here's, here's what's so key. Judah had other legitimate sons who lived other than Perez, a guy named Sheila, a guy named Zerah. Now, if this book were written by men, they would have thrown in those names, right? Legitimate sons. But that would have been falsifying the truth. And the truth was that Jesus was a direct descendant of Perez, the illegitimate son of the daughter-in-law who, of, uh, of Judah who disguised herself as a prostitute and slept with her father. And let me tell you, he's just one of many men in the genealogy of Christ who had a gory story. Look at, uh, go up one verse to verse 32. It says, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon. Now that guy Boaz there, some of you recognize him from the book of Ruth. He was married to Ruth who came from the nation of Moab. Moab. Does anyone remember the circumstances of Moab's birth? Lot escaped from Sodom, went into a cave with his two daughters. They got him drunk, and he slept with them. They had two children. One of them's name was who? Moab. They later became an arch enemy of Israel, drew enemy into great amounts of just rebellion and all kinds of craziness. There wound up being a curse um, against them. This guy, Moab. Verse 32 also mentions Salmon. Who is Salmon? Well, we don't know a lot about him, except who he was married to. Anyone know? Rahab, a prostitute. Never mind some of the rest of the things that the people did who were listed here. David, killing a man to cover up 
adultery against the man. And, you know, and, 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 and there's just a long list of things that were done here, murder and, and, and all kinds of, uh, of crazy things. But, but listen, all of this happened. This genealogy, every single name in here, God is completely familiar with it. He, he had his purposes um, in them, and they, they, every single name was included here, and it all happened 100% within the purposes of Almighty God. God knew. He knew that his son was coming from this line, biological line, was coming from this line. And what, would, what could have been his purpose? It was none other than this, to remind you, to remind me of his abounding, abundant, everlasting grace. If you think you've completely blown it with God, if you think your record has been blighted, ruined, darkened by something you have done, by many things you have done, look no further than the genealogy of Jesus Christ to read about what God can do with a life like that. God is in the business of grace, of making something beautiful out of something that has gone bad. Think of a lake that has no bottom and fill it with grace. Then you start getting a picture of the grace of God. It's boundless. It cannot be measured. Jesus came into the world already identified with people like this. He can identify with you. And guess what? As you, the Bible says, you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, receive him as your savior, your master, your Lord. He becomes your high priest. And he does it with joy. It says, the Bible says in Hebrews that it was with joy, the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross and now, with Christ, he represents God before the people, before us, and he represents, he presents us, he presents you to God. Okay, very good. We will pick up in Luke chapter uh, 4 uh, next week. Why doesn't the worship team come up? And we will close in prayer. Why don't you rise for the closing Worship song and for prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this wonderful picture of your grace and this wonderful picture how, Lord, how you, the Bible says you emptied yourself, Lord Jesus. You did not consider living in heaven in the bosom of your Father, equality with him, something to be held onto, but you made yourself nothing and you came to earth. Lord, we thank you for that. And you came to earth to become our high priest, to present us to God. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that just the picture of you coming into the world 
a world that had been so defiled by sin, even your own descendants. But Lord, how we love that you identify so much with us, even to the point of being willing to be numbered among us, transgressors, people who have violated, broken your law, rebelled. We thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, for anyone in this room who has not made the Lord Jesus their high priest, the king who resides on the throne of their heart. Lord, draw them in and settle the matter with them today. Lord, we praise you because you love to save us. And then once you save us, Lord, you love to make something beautiful of us. We praise you and Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you.